The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. Amen. Well, good morning. Let us uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace, for this opportunity we have to be here this morning to worship you. God, I pray that we worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray that you'd be with us. Help us to see clearly from your word that which you have desired for us to see. God, that we may grow and be changed by it. God, that we may apply it to our lives. I just pray and ask for just for your blessing as we look at your truth this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to take yet another detour from the book of Revelation and the letters to the seven churches to discuss the topic of prayer. And then next week we will, Lord willing, a return to that series and finish it up as we look at the church, the letter to the church in Laodicea. But for this morning, as we talk about the topic of prayer, I just want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, how many of you have perfected your prayer lives? And, and you see that kind of laugh. And by contrast, how many of you would say that it, it is one of the most difficult things as a follower of Jesus Christ that you do? is a consistent prayer life. Yeah, and I see hands shooting up on that one. And I know for me, it's really hard. And even this message is hard because I know that I too struggle with prayer, that prayer is a difficult thing. I'm a guy who I'm, I'm constantly on the move. I'm trying to always do something and be a doer. And sometimes I want to uh, teach a Sunday school class or preach a message and I'm so eager to do those things or even read God's Word that I forget to slow down and spend time with Him. And sometimes, I'll even find myself in the middle of my sermon prep thinking, why can I not get anywhere with this message? And then I realize, I haven't spent nearly enough time seeking the Lord in prayer about this message. And then I have to back up and retrace my steps. So this message is hard for me in that sense, because I struggle with it. And and, and as I think about prayer, I know we've all heard things like, Acts, A-C-T-S, right? Where we, that we get taught how to pray. Acts spells, uh, A is adoration. That we bring our adoration before God. And then C is confession. We confess our sins before God. And then T is thankfulness. We, we thank God for His provision. And then S is supplication. Where we bring our supplication before God. So this idea of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Or maybe you use the acronym PRAY. Right Where it's praise, repent, ask, and yield. But how do we get to a place where we actually, that kind of prayer just flows from our heart? I remember as a new believer, I learned that ACTS acronym. And I would actually, in every prayer, kind of walk through that acronym. And that was a helpful tool. But I, I struggled to get to a place where that kind of prayer, prayer that focused on God, on on adoring Him, on confessing my sin, on being thankful, and then bringing my request before Him, that that kind of prayer didn't flow out of my heart until I began to really know God more. And as I knew God more and more and I got to develop my relationship with Him, it began to flow out of my heart more. So before we look at today's text, we are going to look at a text pretty quick here. Before we do, I want to tell you what I'm not going to talk about. So as we talk about prayer... I'm not going to talk about what prayer is. So I'm not going to talk about how prayer is communing with God, that it's us having a conversation with God. I'm not going to talk about how prayer is 
not us trying to conform God's will to ours, but instead um, us conforming our will to God's, right? I'm not going to talk about the importance of prayer. Because even though we all know that prayer is important, and we know that prayer is at the base of all that we do as Christians, I don't think that I want to talk about that today. I'm not going to talk about the discipline that is required for a consistent prayer life, even though I do believe discipline is, re- is required. That there is a certain amount of discipline. That we should set rules for ourselves like no Bible, no breakfast. We should also set no prayer, no breakfast. Right? Before we, uh, we should set those rules of discipline in our lives. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about the fact that every chapter in redemptive history features people in prayer. We talk about uh, the Great Awakening. We talk about the Reformation. We talk about the great events in Christian history and that every one of those events features people on their knees in prayer. I'm not going to talk about how we excuse ourselves from prayer because we're too busy. Even though we all do. We say, oh, we're too busy. And I'm not going to talk about the reality that really, in fact, we're too busy not to pray. I'm not going to talk about how the Old Testament prophets understood the power of prayer, right? And I'm not going to talk about how the apostles, they delegated the serving of tables in the early church because they understood they couldn't neglect prayer. That they actually said, what's most important for us to do as apostles is to pray. Therefore, we're going to find these men to do these other jobs because we need to pray. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about how our only hope in today's culture, is to abandon ourselves to prayer. That if we're going to have any hope, we must abandon ourselves to the practice of prayer. I'm not going to talk about how Paul constantly remembered the believers of his day in prayer. Almost every letter he says, he constantly, I constantly remember you. I'm not going to talk about how people are called, we as a people are called to pray without ceasing. I'm not going to talk about how we're called to pray believing. And lastly, I'm not going to talk about the truth of John Bunyan's quote where he said, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. So that's what I'm not going to talk about today. Though I kind of just did, right? And I really need to move on and tell you what I am going to talk about. But I share all those things to say prayer is of utmost importance. We need prayer to be a people that is serious about prayer. The Bible has many references to prayer and the topic of prayer, but the first one that comes to mind, to me at least, is the the Scripture that's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And Now you've probably memorized this prayer, and most of you have probably heard uh, dozens of messages on this text before. But seeing as though none of us have mastered prayer, it seems appropriate that we look at it again. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. These are the words of Jesus. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you... When you, go, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, 
For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at our first point in our sermon outline, point number one is how not to pray. Just as I was reading that, I just, just a side note, it's really hard to read that prayer from the New American Standard Version uh, when you've memorized it and it just kind of rolls off your tongue. We'll talk about that more later. But point number one is how not to pray. Look at verses 5 and 6 again with me. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we see uh, a couple of things here. First, I want to examine what this means, what these couple of verses mean. And the idea here is you see somebody, it says, you see somebody who's standing, they're standing on the street corner, they're standing in the synagogues, and those are normal things for Jewish people to do. So in Jesus' time, the idea, we sometimes read this and we, see, we think of somebody who's standing and praying and making themselves seen because they're standing. Whereas standing was a normal posture in which to pray. So Jesus is merely saying that when you see somebody and they're standing, when you pray, you're not to be like these hypocrites who stand. And there's nothing wrong with standing and praying in the synagogues. And there's nothing wrong with praying in the synagogues. The synagogues were the, the equivalent, if you will, of the local church. And on the street corners, and we think, ah, there, there's the pride, standing and praying on the street corners. And there was nothing uncommon for a Jewish man, a Jewish person to be standing on the street corner praying during this time. The issue is that they are praying to be seen. It's not that those things automatically make them seen. He says, so that they may be seen. The idea is that their heart is a heart that desires to be seen. So maybe when they pray in church, they pray really loud. Or maybe when they pray on the street corner, they pray really loud. Or they use big, lofty words because they want to be seen. It's kind of like this. Uh, if Jesus might say, don't be, as the, don't be like the hypocrites who go to Applebee's for lunch. And when they pray, they say grace so as to be seen. There's nothing wrong with going to lunch and praying in a restaurant and saying grace over your meal. That's, that's a good thing to do. But if I go to Applebee's after church today and I, and I pick the prime spot in Applebee's and I sit right in that corner booth and I sit in the middle of the corner booth and I, I'm pretty good at projecting my voice. I don't know if you've noticed. And I sit down and I say, Dear Lord, please be with us as we partake of this meal. 
Right? So we see these hypocrites, they're praying to be seen. And ultimately, they're seeking God's favor. Seeking man's favor, excuse me, and not seeking God's favor. But what does this not mean? Because Jesus says, He goes on and says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. I want to stress the idea that this does not mean that we're only to pray privately. That, that while we are to pray without the, the favor of men, and we're not seeking men's audience, we're seeking God's audience when we pray, that we do indeed practice corporate prayer. We practice praying together. Look at Acts 4, verses 24 through 31. Acts 4, 24-31. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, Your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So here we see an idea. We see this this corporate prayer where individuals are coming together in a time of need, bringing that need before God and praying. Acts 12, verses 11 and 12. Just a couple of pages over. This is uh, Peter. He'd been imprisoned and he's being, he had just been released from, uh, uh, from prison by the angel. And it says in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And there were many who were gathered and were praying. So they were praying together. He gets out of prison, he goes to this house, and what are the saints doing? They are praying together. Acts 13, verses 1-3. through Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they fasted and they prayed together and they laid hands on them and they prayed. One more. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8-11. through 11. First Corinthians 1, verses 8-11. through 11.
I'm sorry. I'm getting there and I'm saying that makes absolutely no sense. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. It says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and yet, and He will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So he says this, he says, we need, we need God's hand to deliver us. We know that God's hand is going to deliver us. We know that we have hope in God. And we're asking that you pray so that when that happens, many people will have seen their prayers answered and then there will be many praise and many praise will result in God being that much more glorified. So he says, I know that prayer works. I know that God's faithful to the end and that He's going to fulfill His promise. So why don't you pray so that your prayer will be answered and you'll be blessed and God will be blessed as many of us praise Him. It's an amazing text. So when we read, go to your private prayer closet, do not hear that prayer is something that is only done in private. That prayer is something that we do corporately and privately, but it is not something that we do to be seen. And that's the point of Jesus. That we don't go out and we proclaim uh, our prayers as high and mighty and seeking to draw attention to ourselves instead. We're seeking an audience with God. Continuing on this idea of how not to pray, look at verses 7 and 8 of our text. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The idea here, the word meaningless repetition is batalagao, and it means thoughtless chatter. It's the idea of just chattering with mindlessness. Just words that we're so familiar with, and words that we're just spewing out of our mouths that we don't even have to think about when we speak. So it's not necessarily the idea of just using the same words, but it's using words that we don't have to think about and doing so thinking that's somehow going to gain favor. There's a a Christian uh, or denomination within Christendom that uh, when my kids were little, we had a TV channel uh, that sometimes we would uh, be flipping through the channels and we'd get to this channel where they would repeat prayers. And... uh, it would kind of freak my wife out, frankly, a little bit because they would just repeat these prayers in this monotone, repetitive manner just over and over and over and over again. And, and I couldn't help but think, even as I was thinking about this, that it was thoughtless chatter. That it was, I have sinned and therefore if I say these same words 75 times over, that somehow that my thoughtless repetition of these words that I've memorized is going to somehow earn favor with God. And even as I 
prayed, and as I read the, the text this morning, I thought, has the Lord's Prayer become thoughtless chatter for me? How many times have I sat in church and I've said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And, and because you don't have to think, it just comes out of your mouth, it just rolls out. And you think, when was the last time I actually thought about those words? And don't hear me say that the words are wrong. And, so, and some of these prayers on that TV channel may have been great prayers that were written by godly people. I don't know. Some of them I know were not. And I would argue that there's some doctrinal issues with those prayers. But certainly some of those prayers may have been okay. But they became thoughtless chatter. They were just repeating them over and over again, thinking that somehow saying a number of Hail Marys was going to earn favor with God. So now as we move on to the actual prayer portion of the text, the the part where Jesus actually uh, tells us how to pray, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't give us a manuscript to read from. That I once, I ran into somebody one time who said, you know, the problem I have with your church is you don't say the Lord's Prayer. And you need to say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Because that's what church should do. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. So therefore, I don't understand why you're not obedient. And when you pray... That's what you should pray. But see, Jesus didn't give us a manuscript to read from. He didn't say, when you pray, these are the words I want you to use every time. He didn't even give us an exact formula to follow, but instead, He taught us how to pray. So if you want to grow your prayer life, I would encourage you to look at these words with me and learn from Jesus when He says, pray then in this way. This is how, when you pray, this is how You should pray. So number two, the second point in your sermon outline is how to pray. Having considered how not to pray, let's consider how to pray. Oh my. Excuse me. Point number two, how to pray. R.C. Sproul says this. He says that we need to remember two things when we pray. We need to remember who it is we are praying to, and we need to remember who we are. So the two things are who we're praying to and who we are as we're the ones offering up those prayers. And in the Lord's Prayer, I think we see both of these things. First, let's uh, look at the first part, remembering who it is we are praying to. Look at verses 9-10. through 10. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is all about Him. And these verses are all about Him. It's, It's clear in the text here. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. For you are the one who is in heaven. You are the one who is holy. And I'm seeking your will and not my own. Jesus clearly understood that when we are to pray, we must remember who it is we are praying to. We're praying to the one who inhabits heaven, the one who is holy, and the one whose will is perfect. So how do we do that though? How do we remember who He is as we pray? Well, I'm going to 
put forward some ideas. First of all, I would argue that we should study the attributes of God. Look at uh, Romans 11, verses 33 through 35. Romans eleven thirty three through 35. <clears throat> it says this, O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are His judgments. How unfathomable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become His counselor, or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, we recognize that from Him, that He's the Creator, and through Him, He is the sustainer, and to Him He is the redeemer. That all things exist because of Him. That all things have been made, all things are being held together, and all things will be made new because of Him. So I would encourage you to study the attributes of God, to remember who He is, to remember that He is all-powerful, to remember that He is all-knowing, to remember that He is holy and set apart from sin. Another way to remember who He is is to reflect on the grace of God in our lives. To reflect on the grace that He's shown us. Every day as we wake up, it's new grace. I would also encourage you to read the Scriptures. Look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Actually, let's start with verse 1. Verses 1 through 6. To look for God in the mundane. I think sometimes we we look for God in the Scriptures, but we also need to look for God in creation. Uh, Verses 1 through 6. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor there are any words. There is no voice heard. Their line has not gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the ends of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So we see this idea of God being the creator of the heavens of the heavens and the earth and the earth telling of his glory that we should if we're going to remember who God is we should see him in the mundane but then also verses 7 through 11 the law of the Lord his word is perfect restoring my soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In keeping these judgments, in keeping the law of the Lord, in keeping 
His Word. If we're going to know God and remember who He is, we must see Him in creation and see Him in His Word. And then a couple of other things. I'd encourage you to pray through the Psalms. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but just picking a Psalm and praying through it, that God blesses me mightily with, with being able to do that. I would encourage you to read, uh, read the Prayers of the Puritans. It's a great book, The Valley of Vision, which is an excellent, excellent book. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. Um, I would encourage you to read through that and read prayers of other people. Those are some ways we remember who God is. And then second, let's look at remembering who we are. So getting back to our text, Matthew 6, look at verses 11-13. through 13. Remembering who we are. Jesus goes on and says, Give us. We see the transition from your, your, your to us. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, Jesus transitions. He, he clearly lays a foundation for who God is. And they're thinking of who great, how great God is and who He is. And then begins to bring these requests before the God of the universe. Ways to remember who we are. From a negative point of view, I would say we need to study the doctrine of sin. Right? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. That it's sick. Our hearts are sick. And that we are wicked. And we need to study that. We need to study the doctrine of sin and realize just how sinful we are. We need to keep short accounts with God and with others. Right? James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another. We need to re-examine our thought processes again and again and again. Sometimes we think, well, I'm right. And we need to step back and say, maybe I'm wrong. We need to wage war with our pride. See, pride destroys prayer. Because it says, I don't need God. I don't need to bring my request before Him. But humility cultivates prayer. And maybe the issue, just maybe the issue with your prayer life is that you are prideful. If you have access to the God of the universe who wants to hear from you and you do not take advantage of that, maybe it's because of pride. I know it is in my life, oftentimes. Pride causes me to miss prayer time. Another way that we can recognize who we are is to recognize our helplessness. Recognize our inability to get things done. Isaiah 64 says that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That, that, we, that we can't get things done in our own strength. And therefore, we need to come back to God and ask Him for His strength. And then lastly, we should recognize that we are not indispensable. We are not indispensable. Actually, turn to Esther 4. Um, 
if that's the right text or not. Can't find Esther. <laughs> no. All right, we're going to move on. I don't know what I was thinking. Turn to First Peter 2.9. We'll go there. 1 Peter 2.9. So as we talk about remembering who we are, we have to remember that while we are not, uh, while we need to remember the doctrine of sin, we need to remember that we are not um, perfect, that we must also remember this, the flip side of all those things. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. See, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. And that as such, we must not be self-deprecating. The idea is not that we study the doctrine of sin so we say, I can do nothing. The idea is instead that we say, God has chosen me. That as Romans 5.8 says, Christ died for the church. That He died for me and therefore, I can experience His grace. So when we remember who we're praying to, and we, when we remember who we are when we are praying, the result is that it will drive us to our knees. I truly believe that it will drive us to our knees. You see, we need to cultivate genuine reverence for God and humility. If we cultivate that reverence for God and humility, we will indeed pray. See, pride is the enemy of God. And therefore, it's the enemy of prayer. The issue is not just that we need more discipline. And we do need more discipline. But the issue is that we need to first see God as big and ourselves as small. We need to not get things flipped around. Because what happens when we get things flipped around? When we see ourselves as big and God as small, our prayers become focused on our glory and not His. We stop praising God for who He is. And we begin to think about what we want and what we think we need. And we begin to praise Him for the things that He does for us. See, when we don't put Him first in our prayers in both sequence and magnitude, and I say sequence and magnitude because Jesus clearly puts Him first in order of sequence, our focus begins to turn toward ourselves. So it's my desire to see us apply these truths to our personal lives. Not just in our prayer closets, but in our times of corporate prayer, in our prayer meetings, in our community groups, and whenever we have a chance to connect with each other. See, it's my desire to see us remember not only to uh, remember how not to pray, seeking the glory of man, using big words, using a loud voice that seeks to draw attention to ourselves, not using thoughtless chatter, just the same words over and over again. I, I remember um, a certain individual that I used to eat dinner with a lot would say grace the same way every time at dinner, and it annoyed me to no end. Now I find myself doing the same thing. It becomes thoughtless chatter. But instead, we need to remember how to pray. Remember who Jesus is. 
just as Jesus taught us, that we would remember it's about His holiness. It's about His kingdom. His will. And we'd bring those things first to Him. And then we would remember who we are, that we're sinners in need of grace. Let's pray. Father God, I praise You for You are holy and worthy of all praise. Father, we know that Your power is made perfect, not in strength, but in not in our strength, but in our weakness. Father, I thank You that You alone are all-powerful. Father God, I praise You that You alone are all-knowing. I thank You that no matter where we go, You are there, that we cannot run or hide from You. God, I praise You for the mighty deeds You've done through history. And I praise You for the mighty deeds that You will do in the future. I thank You that You are just and that You do not conform to some outside criteria, but that You bring moral equity to everyone. And Lord, You are gracious. God, I pray that You would be gracious to us now. May we come before You and ask for Your blessing upon our lives, but God, we do not do so because we want to see our kingdom blessed, but because we want to be part of Your kingdom. God, forgive us for living for our glory and not for Yours. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.